Welcome to Beatitudes, where your host, Dr. Kwamenique Sukina, will give you tools to experience wisdom in your everyday life. Listen each week as Dr. Kwamenique Sukina shares stories that will help guide your faith, perspective, and attitude in every situation. This is Dr. Sukina of Indigenous Messengers International, and here is our host. Today we're going to talk about be grateful, therefore contented. Some years back, my son and his wife were having their first baby, and this was a joyous occasion for our family. One reason was because they had waited until their late 30s to start their family. I was so thrilled I could not wait for my granddaughter's arrival. And since we lived out of town uh, at the time, I had arranged my air travel and I had arranged to stay with a friend so I wouldn't infringe on their privacy during that time. But I had everything ready to go. I was so excited. And a couple weeks before the baby was scheduled to arrive, I received an email that was sent out to the whole family from my son and his wife, and they were requesting their desires for the birthing experience. As a family, as family members, we were requested to allow them to be alone in the hospital for the birth and wait to come to the hospital until they called us after they had time had, had time to rest. We would be able then to come to the hospital and see the baby and visit with them. Now, this request was totally healthy. They were stating their boundaries as a family during this very, very important time in their lives. I knew this logically, and as a therapist, I understood boundaries and healthy choices, and so I was really surprised at my emotional reaction that I felt internally. I was wise enough to keep it between myself and God. I'd done enough inner work that I had learned that expectations are resentments waiting to happen. So I knew I must look at my expectations and challenge their validity. My expectations, as expectations often are, are based on prior experiences. When my sons were born, all of our family members were in the waiting room. There was a family waiting room, and it was a joyous time. It was kind of a rites of passage. Um, I was down the hall getting ready to have the baby or having the baby. My husband was with me, but the family members, and my mother was there too, but the rest of the family members, there was a special place for them to wait. And when I had done that with other people had had their babies in the family, it was, it was just a really fun time. We would bring balloons and presents, and while we're waiting for the baby to be born, we would share stories, and it was a family bonding time. So... And shortly after the birth, everyone came down to my room to visit and see the baby. Now, this probably wasn't the best interest for me as a mom at the time, after just having a child, after just giving birth. But it was a real bonding time, and it was celebratory nonetheless. Two other things that I'd been through, experiences, also fueled my expectations. When my granddaughter Savannah was born, it was a home birth, and I was outside the door and I got to hold her when she was three minutes old and hear her first cry. 
which I uh, was miraculous. And when my great-granddaughter Talon was born, we were all at the hospital waiting down the hall, and we went in shortly after the baby was born, and I got to hold Talon when she was probably about 10 minutes old. All these were beautiful times and rites of passage. And based on my history, that's what I was expecting to happen again this time. I struggled within myself to accept the arrangement without manufacturing a resentment. I knew I was being somewhat irrational. I also know that my granddaughter's birth was not about me and what I wanted, and so I did feel guilty. But that didn't take away all of the emotional feelings that I had, especially being disappointed. The day of the birth, my son called and said, We're on our way to the hospital. I was on my way to a movie. Since I wasn't going to be going to the hospital, I just went on to the movie. I can tell you that was the weirdest movie experience I have ever had in my life. I felt disrespectful and dishonorable watching a movie while my family was having this spiritual experience and my granddaughter was being born. And I left the movie several times and went out into the lobby and just kind of walked around. It became even more complicated for me after the movie when my son called and said that my daughter-in-law had had to have an emergency C-section because the cord was wrapped around my granddaughter's neck twice and they had to rush her to the neonatal intensive care unit. I thought to myself, surely now my son will want me to come to the hospital as an emotional support. He did not. (laughs) He said everything was fine, and he would call me and the rest of the family to let us know how it was going and when would be a good time for us to come. I was perplexed. I wanted to be there somewhere on that in the vicinity so at least I could sit and pray. I thought about driving down there. I thought, well, I can go in the lobby. Or or maybe I'll just sit in the car. No one will know I'm there. I wanted to be near my son in his time of need. You see, my grandparents and my parents, they always showed up. When I had to ha- was in the hospital one time, I, I, had, I was in intensive care when I was 28 years old, and I, my sons were little, and I had peritonitis. And my grandparents drove 13 hours from Texas to be there. Any time in our family when there was something that was needed, the grandparents and the parents showed up. And so that was something that I expected to do, and it was foreign to me. That was what I was accustomed to. But I restrained myself because I had no peace about going. My son and my daughter-in-law had asked us not to come, and I wanted to respect their boundaries. Later that night, my son called. His baby was safe in the, in the NIC unit. His wife was asleep. 
and he was finally able to have some mom time. He, he wanted to talk to his mom. It had been a traumatizing day, and he described that on me on the phone of what it felt like for him when they were going along so fine, doing their breathing exercises and getting ready to have a regular birth, and, and the baby's blood pressure had fallen, and they had whisked his wife away and run him down to the room and then had taken the baby immediately because she was somewhat limp, and how hard that was, how difficult as a new dad, how hard and difficult it was to see, to almost lose them both and to see his wife in that situation and then not be able to even hold his daughter. I remember him saying to me, Mom, I feel like when I was a kid, getting a, oh, I got a puppy for Christmas and I didn't even get to hold it. <laughs> and I encouraged him on that phone call that, it was going to work out, and he was going to be a great dad, and that he would still have those bonding times together. And then when we got off the phone, I had one of those God experiences. I thank God for God. I say that all the time because my relationship with God is not religious. It's spiritual, and he talks to me and lets me know things that I ordinarily would not know and lets me know things about me that I don't always want to know, but need to know. And he showed me a picture in my mind of this liquid gold coming down out of the sky, and it was the size of a dryer vent. Like when you dry your clothes in, you have those silvery-looking vents. They're about that, you know, how big they are. And that's how big this liquid love was coming in that amount. Underneath that spout, I saw my two sons standing there, and each of them was holding a garden hose. And all that liquid gold was, it was going everywhere. It was down in their hose, and they were trying to contain all that liquid gold. And it was such a powerful visual for me. And I realized immediately that that liquid love, that liquid gold was liquid love. And it was my love, a mother's love for my sons. The Lord began to speak to my heart, giving me wisdom and revelation about that. He said, you know, a mother's love for a baby and a child must be great. It must be the size of a dryer vent hose. You have to carry that baby. You have to birth that baby. And you have to care for that baby. It's an astronomical amount of liquid love that is needed. However, Kwamenique, adult men do not need that amount of liquid love from their mothers. An adult man's capacity for a mother's love is the size of a garden hose. They still need the love, but not the capacity of love required for a child. God told me that day I'd done a good job and that actually my sons were very satisfied with the garden hose amount. I wasn't because I knew the capacity. I knew how much I had. I knew the potential. But they were totally happy with a garden hose amount. And the Lord let me know that that overflow of that liquid gold love needed to go out to the world. By this time, the lights were on and I was weeping because I knew what was coming next. God said to my heart, you have to say goodbye to those little boys. 
Oh, man, I saw them. I saw those little boys' faces, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all the ages. But the Lord told me, if you want to have a successful relationship with your adult sons, you have to let go of those little boys and grieve the loss. I cried for two days. I remembered those little chubby cheeks. I remembered those little chubby hands. I remembered what it felt like to have those little arms around my neck. And I remember what it felt like when they would look at me and I was the most important person in their lives and their hero. It was a substantial loss. But I wanted to know those adult men, and I wanted those adult men to be free to be the men they were intended to be. When I finally opened my hands to release those little boys and wiped my tears, God asked me a question. This is what he said. Where is your gratitude? Where is your gratitude? It was gripping to me because immediately he reminded me that I had asked him to increase my life over and over, over many years because I'd been very, when I got sick, my children were still young. When I almost died, when I was in intensive care, Daniel was two. Derek was like six. I had asked God many times to increase my life. And this is what I asked for. I want to be able to raise my kids. I want to be at their weddings. I want to live to see my grandchildren. God said to me that day when he said, where is your gratitude? He also said, I answered your prayers. He showed me all these people that I knew who had gone on across the veil, who did not have the privilege that had been awarded to me. They had not been able to see their children raised. They had not been at their children's weddings. They had not lived to see their grandchildren. It was a privilege that I had been given. It wasn't owed to me. It was a privilege. He then reminded me of the scripture in 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he said this to me. This year, we are going to work on you living with contentment in your life. I immediately said, God, I need your help. I don't know how to live except as a mother. My favorite thing in the whole world is being a mom. It's my identity. I have lived my life for my children. I don't know how to live for myself. And that began that day, a process of him teaching me that, of teaching me how to live for myself, not in a selfish way, but to show up as a child of God. As I shared this message over the years, it's amazed me how it impacts not only mothers, but a grown, but grown adult men. They come up to me afterwards and they'll say, Gosh, I wish my mother could hear that story. They feel that their relationship with their mothers would improve if they would be allowed to be adult men and no longer little boys. But I have to tell you, and I tell the men this, it's not simple for mothers. 
It takes a lot of grief and a lot of acceptance. However, the process of letting go is easier when it's combined with gratitude in the process. Gratitude is the quality of being thankful. It's a conscious and positive emotion of thankfulness, whether the tangible or intangible. Science has now proven that living a life of gratitude rewires the brain and changes brain patterns. Over the last decade, research has shown that people who practice gratitude are happier and have less depression. Gratitude causes an activation in the brain that lights up the reward centers of the brain, boosting serotonin and dopamine, the well-being chemicals that enhance mood. In the recovery world, of which I worked for years and years, of addiction, gratitude has been a long practice. It is a very important tool to heal from addiction. And actively pursuing gratitude is essential to recovery success and relapse prevention. Many times when people are really struggling, we are told, they are told to make a gratitude list. One thing we talk about in 12-step meetings is stinking thinking. And the antidote to that is gratitude. I learned in recovery that addiction begins in the mind. It's not about not taking the first drink. It's about not taking the first think. All self-defeating behaviors begin in the mind before being acted out in behaviors. In fact, I call that with my clients acting out and acting in. When a person is actively doing their addiction, where they're, they're drinking or they're in a sexual addiction, acting out, that's acting out. But acting in begins in the mind, and it has to do with behaviors, thought processes, attitudes. That's why in addiction, it talks about being a dry drunk. The absence of alcohol does not mean the absence of addictive thinking. Relapse starts long before the substance or the process begins. It starts in the mind. That's why making a gratitude list is essential when our minds are diving into negative, the negative, and tempted to have a pity party. In addiction, the chemical makeup of the brain gets disrupted and moves toward an inherently negative direction. That's why we call it stinking thinking. The addicted mind becomes self-focused, selfish, and entitled. Gratitude is the opposite of those things. Gratitude opens the gate to positivity and possibilities. It's proven to open the door to better relationships, improved physical and mental health, and it creates resilience. Melody Beatty is quoted as saying, Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos into order, and confusion into clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, and a stranger into a friend. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. Gratitude is the catalyst to contentment. Once we become grateful for what we have, 
where we are in life and who we are, we can then become content in circumstances because we have enough and we are enough and we're not searching for more. True contentment is finding joy in what God has given to us and satisfaction for what is. Contentment brings peace of mind and true shalom. Once a year, we take time to celebrate Thanksgiving, and we're given an opportunity to be thankful and grateful for all the blessings that we're given. What would happen to our lives if we made this a daily practice instead of a yearly one? How would our lives and our world change for the better? I believe that gratitude is one of the most powerful tools within our grasp and is most often overlooked by a self-indulgent society. I'm challenging myself today, and I challenge those of you listening, to create your own gratitude list on a daily basis, and we can then watch the quality of our lives and the quality of the lives of those around us improve exponentially. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you for sharing your time with me because your time is valuable. If you would like more information on the ministry or to see any of the things that we have written uh, or any of the teachings, go to indigenousmessengers.com. And as I always say, this is dedicated to my children and grandchildren who rock my world.